Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 17 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Today we're going to be covering the doctrine of election. So without further ado, I'll hand it off to our host, Pastor Brett Frazier. What's up, Dustin? What's up? What's up, RJ? He's giving a smile and a head nod. So uh, are you having a good week? The weather is warming back up, oh, yeah. and we're excited about that. Uh, if someone discovers the most awesome gnat spray ever, I would love to learn about it because I've been trying all of them and having, doing a little experiment. So today we are talking about the doctrine of election. Dum, dum, dum. So uh, we will start talking um we were really going to kind of use uh, the Baptist Faith and Message, which is the document that we as members of Southern Baptist Convention uh, have agreed to operate on basically a set of beliefs taken from Scripture that also allows people of different uh, theological spectrums concerning salvation to be able to work together, uh, not to agree on every little thing, but that we agree on the main things. Uh, such as Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, such as God's called us to make disciples for all nations, grace through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So, God's purpose of grace. Dustin, why don't you take us through the gracious purpose of God, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. So, the Baptist faith and message uses these two terms interchangeably, God's purpose of grace and election, which is important for us to understand when we see election from that perspective. It, it really prevents us from uh, thinking about our own personal uh, beliefs about election and reminds us that election's ultimate end is to reveal that God is gracious and He is the one who saves us. We That's don't right. save ourselves. And so the Baptist faith and message begins its definition of uh, the gracious purpose of God, this uh, article, uh, by saying, Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which He regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. Uh, In the Greek language, the word literally means uh, to choose or to pick out. It is a special uh, group of people. And so in the Old Testament, we know that God chose out uh, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, God chooses out the saints or the church. And so the main purpose of all of this is just simply to say God is the one who initiates salvation. And, I mean, this really just comes from Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, in His love for us, has redeemed us and regenerated us, and it's His election that has really done it. It's not anything we could do, anything that we could accomplish on our own. God is the one who did the choosing. Amen. And so, you know, so many times people have different perspectives about this, and they have a tendency to get frustrated whenever someone has a different perspective from them. But we've got to understand that this is God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. This is what God had in mind before the fall ever happened before he ever created the world, that he was going to send his son and that he was going to have an elect people. But we need to get into that a little deeper and discover some more things about election before someone listening to this podcast begins to get offended with us just for talking about it the way we have thus far. So we talk about free agency of man. There's two things, the Baptist faith and message, and and we believe, number one, that 
election comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It's yeah. the whole process of salvation, right, Dustin? Yeah, absolutely. And so the free agency of man is not something that contradicts election. So many times uh, we have this tendency to think, oh, you want to talk about election. Well, you're talking about how man has no free will. We can't choose to do anything in and of ourselves. But the Baptist faith and message tells us exactly what you just said, that it comprehends all the means in connection with the end. In other words, when God chose us, he did so knowing what would happen, and he did so in such a way that allows us to have free will uh, and to interact with him freely. And so we have a lot of Bible verses that talk about both God's sovereignty and man's free will. Uh, for example, God's sovereignty, John 15, uh, 16, and in verse 19 we see that God chose us and we did not choose him. In Acts 13, 48, we see that God appointed some and they believed. In Romans 8, 29 through 30, we see that he uh, foreknew, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, which I've heard scholars argue, well, that's not really talking about election to salvation. That's talking about how he has predestined the saints to this purpose of being conformed to his son. Uh, But, Either way, the fact still there is God is sovereign and He had a plan. First Thessalonians five nine, we see that uh, He is destined uh, to obtain salvation, not wrath. And this is talking about uh, Christ when He returns. This is what's going to happen. Second uh, Thessalonians two thirteen through fourteen, we see that God chose the church here at Thessalonica as first fruits to be saved, and so God is sovereignly working out His plan. His sovereignty is certainly not in question. But also human free will, not in question. Uh, John three fifteen through sixteen, we see that it's whoever believes. In John five twenty four, it's whoever hears and believes. In John ten nine through thirteen, everyone who believes will not be put to shame, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Revelation twenty two seventeen, hear and come, those who are thirsty, come; those who desire, come, and take the water of life. And so these verses show that. Man has some free will, has this ability to choose to receive God's gift of grace. Okay, so let's let's step off in it a little bit here. All right. So you read those verses affirming the sovereignty of God and salvation, right? Yes, absolutely. Before time began, he knew he came, was coming after us. He was going to do it. And then you read those verses, those free will verses. Why is it that people, especially American Christians— love focusing on the sovereignty verses, but pretend like so many of these free will verses just aren't in the Scripture. Well, if I were to take a guess at it, I would say it's probably just to be countercultural because we live in America where everyone wants to be free, and freedom seems Mm -hmm. to be at the forefront of our mind. And I would say the average Baptist maybe emphasizes free will over sovereignty a lot of times. And so you see a lot of scholars in you know, reaction to that, emphasize sovereignty over free will. When the truth of the matter is, They're they synonymous. both coincide with yeah. one another. Right, right. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, so when we talk about enduring to the end, um, which really is perseverance of the saints, correct? Absolutely. And, and, and really uh, connects with assurance of salvation. You know, what we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Sunday morning, you know, how do you really know that you're saved? Uh, Let's talk about that, if we can, to find some of these terms and 
Well, let's talk about enduring to the end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the Baptist faith and message says, All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ, and temporary judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. In other words, you may sin and you may fail, and that may bring temporary judgments on yourself. It may you know, not be... Uh, productive for the mission in the kingdom of God, but ultimately, if you are genuinely and truly saved, you are always saved. We call this uh, perseverance of the saints or uh, surety of salvation. Uh, There's lots of different words that this goes by, but the fact is, if you're saved, you will always be saved. Now, the question then becomes, are you genuinely saved? Right. So let me simplify that. When I think about perseverance of the saints, I always try to teach that we are all one step away from stupid. Yes, no That's doubt. kind of a strong way to say it, but a more gentle way would say we are all one step away from foolishness. Yep. Any given day, any time of the day. But the good news is, if we are really the Lord's, He's not going to be finished with us. He still will use us. We may have harmed people, right? We have the ability, uh, you know, the Bible talks about the tongues of fire, you know, uh, our sin harms uh, the mission. It harms the name of Christ. It harms other people. But uh, the Lord, He will be faithful to finish what He started, right? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's just a few. I mean, there's more than a few, but uh, here's a few verses that definitely back this principle up in Romans uh, 8, 38 through 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, in John 10, 29, we are in Christ's hands and He is in His Father's hands and nothing can pluck us out of His hands. In Ephesians 1, 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That seal's not going to be broken. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says that he is assured that Christ will complete what He has begun in Him, which is His salvation. And so all these verses let us know God's not going to let you go. If you're genuinely saved, you will always be saved. Now, I mean, the question then becomes, what about whenever you're doubting? And I think you had a sermon on this a few weeks ago uh, where you talked about, well, if you're doubting, how can you be assured? How can you know for sure if you're saved? Do you want to add a little to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to know for sure how to be saved, is you got to look at what the Bible talks about, what that means. And the, the simple truth is put your faith in the gospel. Right and and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, who confesses with their mouth Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised you, him from the dead, if you do that, you will be saved if you repent and believe. Right, so many times the disciples that was the that was the gospel message: repent and believe. Right, believe in the Messiah and what He would do. Uh, so it, it's not so much the amount of faith; uh, it's the faith in the object of our faith, and that's the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. And so if you're out there and you're doubting your salvation, you know, doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt is one of those things that, you know, I think about always when I think about doubt, I think about uh, the shield of faith Mm -hmm. in the armor of God. And it extinguishes every fiery dart of the enemy. And so when those darts of doubt begin to strike your shield, ultimately 
they're not going to hurt you if you have a relationship with the Lord. They're only going to strengthen you. That's they're right. only going to make you stronger. Uh, you'll be more confident in your faith once you've faith once you've worked through this doubt. Once you have thought through, am I genuinely a believer? You'll begin to look at your life and say, "Well, I see fruit here." And so, if I want to be even more uh, assured that I'm saved, I want to produce even more fruit. Right and. I see repentance and change here, and I see how God has worked. And so if I want to be assured of my salvation, I want to repent even more and be even led, led to even greater sanctification. And I see in my life this conviction of sin, and I know that I do not like this sin in my life. Sure, maybe it's there, but now that just lets me know I do have Christ. He is on my side, and I can wage war against this sin even more powerfully than I did before. So your doubts, when you face them head on, when the power of Christ and been searching diligently in the scriptures, they'll only make you stronger. That's right. We, you know, um, lost people who we were before Christ and who we would be if it weren't for God's grace in our lives. Uh, lost people do not wrestle and sit up all night wondering if they're saved. That's right. <laughs> Maybe there's a rare exception, but most sure. of the time, if you are struggling with this question, if you are putting thought, if you're sweating over it, I think that's a, sal- a sign of your salvation. Oh, yeah. Um, there, now, there are those. It could be the process if you, that you're lost and God's drawing you. And, you know, something uh, We every church I've ever served in, there's people that have these questions, these doubts. And a wise pastor, uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Tommy Snyder, he said one time to someone, I heard him say it. He says, you know, if you're unsure, like, and it just is driving you crazy, you just can't you can't get that peace, then just get on your knees, ask the Lord to save you, if you're not already, and get it right, and get up and take it as faith that the Lord saved you. Yeah. If it weren't before, it's now. And he says, and when you get to heaven, the Lord's not going to be sitting there waiting on you and say, why'd you get saved twice? You know, that, yeah. it's, that's not what he's going to say. Um, and I did that, you know, a few years, I think I accepted Christ when I was 10 years old and at RA camp, but it was a few years later you know, I think I was like 13, and I was just struggling, sweating, you know, man, I don't want to go to hell, and I want I want to know Jesus, and I want to follow Him with my life, and but I'm not sure, and, and I think it was probably a spiritual attack, but uh, I just remember there in my bed, on my knees, in my little twin mattress, praying, Lord, if I'm not saved, I want you to save me now. Yep. <clears throat> and looking back, I don't think that's when my salvation started. But it certainly made me feel better yeah. uh, during that time of my life. So, and sometimes people are confused. You know, Satan is the author of confusion. Uh, there, there was a recent uh, person, I'm not going to say their name, but they were questioning um, if they were truly saved because the pastor who baptized them uh, had a moral failing and mm. is out of the ministry. And so she was concerned, you know, am I really saved? Was that really real? And so I had to explain, you know, it doesn't matter if, I hope I'm right to say this, if the devil himself actually baptized you. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's not about who baptized you. It's what baptism is. And the baptism is just, right, it's just the symbol of salvation. To be obedient, God called us to do it. But baptism, you don't go to heaven because you're baptized. You go to go to heaven because you're saved, right? You're covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's right. So yeah, absolutely. We, you know, if you're out there and you're doubting, or maybe you're just thinking, "Have I lost my salvation?" Just be assured, 
if you're saved, you will always be saved. No one can take you away from the love of Christ. No one can pluck you out of his hand. And so with all that in mind. I do want to interrupt. If you are, you're like, well, you know, if you know you're far from God right now, like you would say, admit, yeah, I'm far from God. Like I got all kind of funk in my life and I'm just, uh, I'm afraid God's just angry and upset with me. I would say that God's not upset with you uh, because you're listening to this podcast, which is you would not be if you wanted to follow the Lord. And number two, you can simply get right with the Lord right now. He'll take you back. He, In fact, he's drawing you back to himself right this moment. And he wants to take your sins. He wants to forget about those. And let's go forward following him because he's got something for you to do in his kingdom. That's right. Absolutely. And so back on to the defining of election and explaining what it is. We've got some really complex terms here that we've got to come to grips with. Uh, The first one being foreknowledge. Oh, man, what a word. It literally just means knowing a thing before it has happened. Um, It's just the fact that God knows all things. Uh, You know, many times we call God omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, Well, as I was studying this, I came across another word for foreknowledge, a synonym, that is, God has prescience. In other words, He knows things before they happen, which made me think to myself, well, why do we need to, you know, pull that category out whenever we already said He knows all things? Uh, I mean, God knows everything from eternity past to eternity future. He knows everything that will happen, uh, including the free choices that we're going to make. Mm. And so, you know, we can rest assured God knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. Which shows His love for us even more. Yeah, absolutely. Right, he knew we we would reject him. He knew we would choose sin over him yeah. so many times, and yet, still, he loved us. Yeah. Still, Christ died for us. Absolutely, and this plays a huge role in the Arminian worldview, which we'll talk about uh, a little later. That uh, the reason we know that you know we still have free will is because of foreknowledge that God knew who would have faith. He knew uh, who would be drawn to him, and so. He made his decision who he would elect based on this. Uh, I think that kind of gets into some nitty-gritty details there, but uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a a necessary distinction to make. But the fact is, God did know. That's Uh, right. So our next difficult word, though, is predestination. This is a hot-button word. People do not like this word. You find this word in the Bible, and people immediately sit up in their seats, their blood pressure rises, and they just all ears to hear what you're going to say because they want to pick it apart as soon as your sermon is over or your because lesson or whatever. Because some wacko preacher used that term one time and pulled it out of his context. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, so let's, but it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. And we shouldn't Absolutely. run from it. In fact, it's incredible. Yep. It is. It's a great word. Uh, the idea is, I mean, it's used in Romans eight twenty nine. Uh, God predestines us to be like Christ in Ephesians one five. He has predestined us to be adopted as sons, uh, and also in Ephesians one eleven, He's predestined us for an inheritance. Um, I would like to point out though that in each of these contexts, not one time does it say He predestined us for salvation, uh, which I think is really interesting. I had a theology professor point that out for me one time uh, to be like His Son for adoption and for an inheritance, but not once as He said. For salvation, and all of those letters where it's mentioned, he's already talking to people who are already saved. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I just find that very interesting. You can make of that what you will. Mm-hmm. But here we have it's a little controversial now. I love it. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It'll get a little more controversial as we go on. 
So, uh, yeah, God chooses. So there's two different kinds of predestination. This is where people start to get frustrated. There's definitely single predestination. God chooses to elect his elect people, and then there are other people that he doesn't choose. Now, single predestination is the concept that he chooses his people and then just passes over the others. He doesn't choose them or not choose them. He just leaves them where they're at. Now, double predestination is where God goes out and he chooses people for heaven and he chooses people for hell. Now, just to be very careful here, whenever I'm talking about election, uh, I'm not talking about we're electing a specific person for heaven or hell. We'll talk about that in a second when we talk about our definition of election here. But God definitely elects his people, the church. He elects saints. Um, now, does God sit here and say, now these are the people that I've chosen and these are the people that I've not chosen. They're going to hell. I don't think God is sitting here just waiting on the edge of his seat to condemn people to hell. I think, you know, maybe as the Arminian said in his foreknowledge, he said, I know these are the people who will accept me. I know these are the people who will make my name most glorified and I've chosen them out to be my people and to be uh, a group of my treasured possession and those people he just maybe doesn't even think about them but it's hard to look at God and think he's just sitting there waiting to send you to hell I don't think that's who our God is that goes against everything that the scripture teaches about the Lord that's right and it's not minimizing his righteousness because we do know God is a judge he's righteous right He and yeah. he in no way can clear the guilty yeah and I think some important verses to emphasize that uh, were are Ezekiel eighteen thirty two and Second Peter three nine, where we find out that God doesn't desire for anyone to perish, but that all would repent. And so I don't think God is sitting on the edge of his seat, just waiting to send people to hell. Uh, but that brings us to our definition of election. So God has chosen a special group, or some people would say a specific person, for salvation. And so usually, I find this very interesting, that in our theological discussions, we talk about it as if God is choosing a specific person. However, when the Bible uses the Greek term for election, it almost always, when it's used as a noun, is plural, Mm. or when it's used as a verb, the object is plural. That's huge. Which leads me to believe, I have this little excursus here that I wrote down very carefully because I didn't want to offend anybody, but it leads me to think that neither the human nor divine authors ever intended for this to be a major emphasis of Christian doctrine. In fact, in any systematic theology, the category of salvation is secondary to theology proper. Therefore, the debated views within the doctrine of salvation are at their best tertiary in their importance, not worth the primary emphasis which is bestowed upon them. So, If you're listening to this podcast and you're a scholar who fires passionate missives and essays at your opponents of a different soteriological stance, or you dogmatically take every opportunity to teach and preach the principles of your stance to your congregation or students, you're wasting precious opportunities to focus on the mission of the gospel or build a healthy church body. Instead of fighting a battle over the details of justification, let us disciple believers into greater sanctification. Now you can drop the mic. That's right. Oh, that wait, is a you're much not, you're better not holding use a of mic. our time. You, these mics are on a stand. Because you're making a really good point. There's a lot of broken fellowship. There's a lot of broken churches. There's a lot of broken relationships. There's a lot of broken friendships. You know, Absolutely. among pastors, um, 
you know, some of my best friends in the whole wide world are strong five-point Calvinist brothers. Yeah. And, you know, they might not even view me as, I don't know what they view me. Uh, But the point is, it is ridiculous. You just said that it's tertiary, right, and their importance. It's it's not that it's not important, and it's not fun to talk about. Um, But I I look, just to follow up and, and to emphasize what you just said, uh, I'm reading The Life of Martin Lloyd-Jones right now by Ian Murray, and it's been a great blessing in my life. I'm I'm slow reading it because we have four children, and it's hard to read, but I'm trying to get through it, um, reading a few other things as well. Listen to what he says about election. He, he writes, quote, I am a Calvinist. I believe in election and predestination, but I would not dream of putting it under the heading of essential. Mm-hmm. I put it under the heading of non-essential. There you go. You are not saved by your precise understanding of how great salvation comes to you. What you must be clear about is that you are lost and damned, hopeless and helpless, and that nothing can save you but the grace of God in Jesus Christ and only Him crucified, bearing the punishment of your sins, dying, rising again, ascending, sending the Spirit, Regeneration. Those are the essentials. Now listen to this. While I myself hold very definite and strong views on the subject, I will not separate from a man who cannot accept and believe the doctrines of election and predestination and is Arminian as long as he tells me that we are all saved by grace. Hmm. And as long as the Calvinist agrees, as he must, that God calls all men everywhere to repentance. As long as both are prepared to agree about these things, I say we must not break fellowship. So I put election into the category of non-essentials. End quote. That's good stuff. Yeah, so that just um, supports what you just, the point you just made. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we just went on, we read uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones here, and he had this great quote, and Uh, I just basically said that it's not important, but now we're going to move into discussing it because it is a little fun to discuss, and you may want to know, where do I stand in all of this, and what are some of the different views? And so let's just start with Calvinism. It's probably uh, the most controversial, aside from Arminianism, Um, and I would just like to say, before we even get into Calvinism, all Baptists do tend towards Calvinism more than Arminianism. Right. And so may not realize it. Yeah. (laughs) You agree with them more than you think, although you may not agree with them completely. And I've met a lot of Calvinists who would say, as long as you lean that direction, you're a Calvinist. Now, is that the way everybody believes? No. But the fact is, as Baptists, we're probably more Calvinist than we are Arminian. Right. But let's get into it. They had this beautiful acronym here because it's a flower, uh, the tulip. And the tea. Pretty flower. That's right. This and also I should mention Calvinism emphasizes God's sovereignty, while Arminianism emphasizes man's responsibility or man's free will. Uh, so you know, depending on which way you emphasize, which thing you emphasize, you may have these views. So Calvinism emphasizes total depravity. That's the T in tulip, which I think almost all of us agree on. It depends on how you define it. I had a theology professor once say, "If you let me define the terms." I could be a five-point Calvinist, right. but you've got to let me define the terms. 
What do you mean by total depravity? Well, uh, for most of us, total depravity means we couldn't save ourselves. Only God could do that. Now, some people take this a step further and say, you couldn't do anything right ever in your entire life. Um, And I think that, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a few nuts. Or even a broken clock is right twice a day. I think that even lost, unregenerate people sometimes happen to do the right thing. Now, maybe their motives are wrong. Or, you know, maybe they just, you know, I, I don't I don't know. But I think that there are some people who they do the right thing sometimes, even though they're Absolutely. unregenerate and they're lost. Even the Nissan will get you to the grocery store sometimes. That's right. But in the spiritual realm of salvation, we cannot save ourselves. And I think all of us can agree on None that. No good. No, That's not right. one. Not even, there's nothing good. That's right. right. Even our righteous deeds Hearts are as filthy deceitful. rags. Yes, Wicked. absolutely. All the things we talked about in our last podcast, they're true. We can't save ourselves. And then the U in TULIP stands for unconditional election. Again, you let me define the terms. Sure, I can get behind this. If you say election means that God has elected a group of people, the church or the saints, and he has elected them for a certain purpose, then then sure, I can get behind that. And I can get behind the fact that it's unconditional, that for sure God is not sitting here picking out people based on some condition of their own. He is calling people who are all sinners, all alike, equal in the eyes of God, and he's calling them into a relationship with himself. And so if you let me define the terms, I can get behind this. But it all depends on how you define election. And the Baptist faith, the message would say that election is consistent with the free agency of man. Yes, that is a huge deal. It's important to remember that. And so... Yeah. Some people would argue that, though, right? It, it, it's not consistent with the free agency of man. Yeah, some... It, yeah, depending on, you know, and they have how you right define to believe the term that. election. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that's why we thought it was important to go ahead and define our terms earlier and talk about what election is, because, I mean, it, it really, this one all depends on how you define the word election. I would say God sovereignly chose to give you the choice to believe that to believe that <laughs> or not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but they would say that God decided, uh, some would say God decided how their brain works and how their opinions are down to the color of their shirt. And I would say, no, I think, you know, as a father of four children, it pleases me sometimes to let them pick out the flavor of ice cream they want. And I think it brings God the Father more glory when, you know, he does sometimes, he has his perfect pleasing will, but in that perfect pleasing will, he lets us choose some things. Choose this day whom you're going to follow. Oh, yeah. He let us choose whether we were going to eat the fruit or not. I mean, from the very beginning, God was sovereign and in control of all creation. But some people would say... He didn't. Right. right. And they're wrong. They have permission to be wrong. Yes, they have permission to be wrong. Uh, so the fact is, you know, the free agency of man, it's it's not contradictory to God's sovereignty. And so what we're saying here is that, you know, God is not picking people based on, oh, well, I like them better because they're a male or a female, or I like them better because they're either white, black, Asian, Hispanic, any other nationality Right. God doesn't care about those that has things. Nothing to do with it. Exactly. And so, you know, if you define unconditional election that way, sure, I can get behind that. Okay. We did limited the atonement. That's the L. Oh limited man. Atonement. This is uh this is one where people like to fight sometimes. Um now I've heard this cliche little saying and I think it's pretty good that salvation is sufficient for everybody. 
but it's only efficient for the elect. In other words, those who put their faith in Christ are the only ones who get saved, but God has atoned for everyone, but it only works for those who receive it. And so if that's your definition of limited atonement, sure, I can get behind that. But some people believe that limited atonement uh, means that God only atoned for the people who would get saved and no one else. Yeah, I'm going to unashamedly disagree with that. Yeah. So I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. First John 2, 2 says, He is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for, the, for, the, for those of the whole world. Yes, spot on. And so we know God's atonement, it's for everyone, but it only works for those who receive this grace through faith. That's right. That's right. And then irresistible grace. This is the one where they lose me because I'm still, to this day, trying to find in the Bible where this one, I mean, I've seen some places where people kind of stretch it a little bit and they say, see, don't you see that grace is irresistible? And I think, yeah, but when you really look at this in context, I I don't see that. Now, I heard a, a guy in a book one time say that he could get behind overwhelming grace that right. grace is so powerful That's and good. potent, why wouldn't you want to accept it? You'd be foolish not to accept it, and that it's definitely working in your life and drawing you to Christ. But I've also had quite a few friends who have told me, I think God's working in my life. I think I'm going to get saved tomorrow. And then tomorrow came, and mm-hmm. God wasn't working in their life the same way, in the same moment, and they just kept on going about their lives. Right. And if never it had irresistible, yeah. they would have jumped on board. You know, I think of the, the great illustration that's not from man, but from God himself. Uh, what do we have in our lives that is a picture of the gospel? And it is the husband and wife marriage relationship. Definitely. Right. And so you see the husband pursues the bride, you know, by nature. And then the Bible teaches that the man should initiate and then the wife receives. And so that to me, that's a picture. God woos us. God draws us. God initiates it. God does all the work, but he, at the end of the day, we got to say yes. You know, we got to follow him. We have to put the ring on the finger. We got to be all in. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go with you. Those disciples, Jesus told them, you know, they said, we want to follow you. What do we need to do? He said, okay, let's drop your nets and let's go. They they could have, I believe they could have in that moment said, I ain't going. Yeah. I'm going to stay right here. And this is what a lot of people do today. I'm not going with the Lord. I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to do what I've been doing. And I would say they're going to get left behind. Yep, no doubt. And so the last point of Calvinism is the P in tulip, perseverance of the saints. And this is one that we as Southern Baptists get behind wholeheartedly. Hundo P. And that is that once you're saved, you are always saved. Or maybe you could say if you're saved, you are always saved. And so we've already talked about that a little bit earlier. But the fact is, once you're saved— that salvation isn't going anywhere. Nothing can pluck you out of That's the That's right. God has got you, and he ain't letting go. He did all the work. You can't lose it. That's right. That's right. Which brings us, of course, to the alternative view, or one of the alternative views, Arminianism. Dun, dun, dun. And this emphasizes man's responsibility, or you might say, may say man's free will. Uh, and they just have some simple points. God desires for all to be saved. And I think we can get behind that. The Bible that's, says that. That's pretty solid. Uh, they say that... All persons are able to believe. And I think, you know, we we agree to some extent. All people, you know, they have the 
They can receive. They have the ability. They have the ability. But, you know, God ultimately has to do the work. And so, you know, this one's a little controversial for us because we know God is the one who ultimately does all the work. Um, but at the same time, man does have to receive the grace of God. It does say able. That's right. It does say able to believe. It's not saying able to save themselves. Right. Uh, and so, you know, depending on how far you take that statement, I think that's another one of those things that we as Southern Baptists can kind of get behind. Uh, and then there's the foreknowledge's role in election, and that is, you know, God isn't just picking people out. He is strategically picking them out based on what he already knows would have happened anyway, which I uh, think is, you know, maybe there's some truth in that, but... You know, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know that there's a place in the Scripture where that point is really emphasized or anything like that. But, you know, God definitely knew everything, and I think He definitely has a plan in everything that He does. So, sure, maybe we could get behind that point. But who can truly know the mind of the Lord? That's yeah, right. Who can really know why He does what He does all the time? That's right. And then they don't think that unconditional or... You know, you might say absolute election is contrary. They think it is contradictory to free will. They say that the Calvinist definition of election uh, is not, it doesn't line up with free will, um, which some Calvinists would say, well, no, that's not what we said at all. But still, some Arminians insist that their definition of election contradicts free will. Uh, they also believe that you, some, many believe that you can lose your salvation. And so all that's just to say, you know, this is what Arminians believe versus what Calvinists believe. Where they really disagree is a lot of Calvinists will say you have to be regenerated before you can even put your faith in Christ. Mm. And Arminians would say, no, 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 no. All of that happens at one time. Your regeneration, your justification, and you putting your faith in Christ all happens at one time. Yeah. Which so I which think, one of those do you believe does? I mean, I believe that happens at the same time. Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, uh, but I, I've definitely it. Ultimately, it's a philosophical argument, and you won't be able to prove it with scripture. Um, you can debate it all day long, but I think in the perspective of eternity and our finite views, it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That's right. God does regenerate us. God does justify us, and we do put our faith in Him. And I think if we could see it from God's perspective, then Maybe they do happen at different times. But I think from our perspective, it all happens at the same time. Right. And I think, you know, that's where some of the confusion happens. And, you know, God opens our eyes and we realize we're lost and we're we're in big trouble. And so that's the first thing that happens, right? I was blind, but now I see. Yeah. So you open your eyes. Oh, no. And so then you call upon the name of the Lord, right? Yeah. Repentance. Definitely. So. So there are some other views that are just worth mentioning. There is a Molinism. It's not talking about molars in the mouth. <laughs> Molinism. That's right. Molinism. Uh, this is named after a guy who um, way back in the day said, invented this term, middle knowledge. Middle knowledge is this idea that not only does God know uh, everything, but he knows all possible outcomes as well. And so he has created the world in such a way to produce the best possible outcome. And in he is still interacting in this world to continue producing the best possible outcome, which means that, you know, God is doing well, the way he elects people is based off of this knowledge of possible outcomes, um, which, you know, it's possible, I guess, but 
I think this guy had too much time on his hands. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. Uh, But, you know, it's a cool idea. I'm not sure that it's, you know, spot on or anything, but it's it's a cool idea to consider. Uh, Here's a, a good one. This is for the most humble of us all. To appeal to mystery. This is really popular in uh, Eastern Orthodox religions, and they do this about a lot of different things. If they don't know an answer, they say, I don't have to know. I don't mm. know, and I don't need to know. And so I think that's really cool. You know, yeah. All I know is that Jesus saved me, and I'm walking with him, and I love him, and that's all I really need to know. That's so that's right. a really cool view. Uh, and then a view that I think fits probably most Southern Baptists in all of our churches. If you Google traditional mm. statement, Eric Hankins. It will pull up a PDF of what he says most Southern Baptists believe. And I mean, it is very detailed and I mean, it's down to the T. But I think he's right. I think the majority of Southern Baptists lay people in the pews. This probably is what they believe. And so, you know, those are just some different options, things that you can look up, things that you can consider as you think about election. And uh, But remember, this is not the primary mission that we should be about. This is not uh, what our main focus should be. And I'd kind of like to uh, wrap up my part here by saying that uh, there's a quote in the Baptist Faith and Message saying, it, referring to election, is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness. It is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes Mm. humility. I think that last sentence is a big deal. Let me read it again. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. That's right. So the fact is, election, it says God's in control. God is the one who saved us. We didn't save ourselves. And so we shouldn't just boast and think that we're so smart that we can figure out election or that it's a big deal that we should emphasize in everything that we do. Instead, we should be humble and worshipful that God would save us. <clears throat> When your soteriology makes you believe or, or make you know informs you that you are smarter than someone else, that you are better than someone else, that you've got it figured out and everyone else is wrong, I would say that's a red flag. Yeah. And you know, if I were gonna go to church and I hear a pastor to begin to talk like that and put down other other pastors who love the Lord, by the way, yeah. and put down other seminaries and put down other theologians just because they don't line up with their belief. I would say that's a red flag, and I would say that's divisive, and that's not going to be a healthy pastorate for that pastor in that church. Yeah. Um, and so the enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants us to to split. You know, to have multiple more denominations, and and that's not. I believe God knows, and God wants to use us together. And yep. we're stronger together. And so we don't want to leave anyone behind uh, concerning. Now, when it comes to, you know, inerrancy of Scripture, uh, I think if people, you know, want to go with something other than the Bible, uh, then that's a whole other conversation. Um, so, I, you know, I think that mature people can be friends with those who believe different things concerning uh, all of the facets of Salvation, you know, and describing all of those, but but a lot of times, once again, is how do, who's defining the terms, right? Exactly. I mean, what do you mean when you say something like predestination, or what do you mean when you talk about irresistible grace? Yep, that's that's a big part of it. And so, a lot of times, people don't even know what they mean. They don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah, they just know they're they're picking this camp to jump into. Yeah, and which, somebody taught them to believe this way. That's right. That's what they and, know. And someone also taught them to be hostile. 
towards people of a different thought. That's right. And and that's just not healthy because when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, man, that was stupid. We, we were so dumb. <laughs> and I think that's the point that we try to make is you know that this is, these things uh, they're fun to talk about. Uh, it's important, but at the end of the day, if we're going to argue over something, we need to argue over uh, mission dollars to take the gospel to the nations. Yeah, we need to argue over you know why don't we have more people sharing the gospel? Why don't we have more people yeah. doing what, the main thing that God clearly in His Word told us to do is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that He commanded us. Yeah. So that's what the main thing is should be, and. When that becomes, when that is not the primary focus of the SBC, when that is not the primary focus of a church, then we get off track. That's right. And the enemy gets exactly what he wants, and that is to put us in these little camps, to isolate us, and to keep us from living uh, spirit-filled, on-fire lives that make disciples. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. You get in these camps, and you know I, I would be remiss to mention that each one of these camps has a um, an end that you don't want. It's dangerous. Like uh, hyper-Calvinism is when someone believes in God's sovereignty so much and that they can't lose their salvation that they just do whatever they want. They sin as much as they want, whenever they want, because they can't lose their salvation. And they don't share the gospel because, well, God will save who He wants to save when He wants to save them no matter what I do. And so they just don't care. It's just this apathy and Arminianism has the same polarized view in, in, in the end to it that I just live in fear all the time and I'm completely afraid that I'm going to lose my salvation or that you know I, there's no way I can ever know whether I'm, I'm saved. And, and you just live completely terrified your whole life, you know, wondering and doubting and living ineffectively for the kingdom of God. And so we don't want that. We want you to realize this thing that we're discussing, it's really cool. We like to talk about it sometimes, but at the end of the day, what we really want you to know is God's sovereign. He's in control, and we just need to be humble and keep living for Him. That's right. And when it comes to trying to figure out if someone elect or not, that's not our job. Our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to love them into the kingdom as much as we can. In the, the day, God does the saving, right? That's right. And so we we got to trust the Lord to be, to do the things that He does. And I think he expects us to do the things he's asked us to do. Yeah. So just remember, uh, if you go into heaven, it's all grace. It's all God. He did all the work. If you're going to hell, it's your own fault. Right. That's true. <laughs> That's right. You did not repent. You didn't put your faith in the gospel. And uh, you try to save yourself. And uh, remember, God desires not for anyone to perish, but to all that all would come to repentance. Mm. So Amen. That's not us. We didn't come up with that. That's, That's the word, word of God. God. That's right. Man, this has been fun. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure uh, if we get an angry letter, we'll just throw it in the trash. Uh, if it's signed at the end, we'll probably read it. But if it's not signed, I'm not reading it. Yeah, that's a good point. So, we'll let RJ read it. Yeah, RJ, he likes to write, read letters. <laughs> okay. Well, we will see you next time. Uh, have a great, great day, and go tell someone the glorious news of the gospel. Yeah. This concludes today's episode of Sword and Spirit. If you like this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our future content. 
Also, be sure to check out our website, fbcbsl.org, for more news and information on everything going on in our church. That's all for today. Until next time, bye. Bye.